with me to Ephesians chapter 6, or you can turn your Bible on, whatever device you're using. You can also find, um, we've got Bibles and the chairs provided, so you can grab one of the Bibles we provide and go to page 979. We'll be in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to finish up this sermon series through this letter um, to the church at Ephesus. And uh, my name is John. Um, I serve as one of the pastors here at Redemption Hill Church. And, and as you're turning there, I know Father's Day can be a great day of excitement and joy personally as a father um, to be honored by my children. I know it also can be a day of brokenness as well. Maybe there's those who want to be a father, but maybe have experienced infertility. Maybe you just miss a father, the passing of a father, maybe the distance between a father. Maybe you're reminded um, of a father who was either absent in your life or wasn't a very good father. And I just want you to know, I hear that as I stand up here today. I, I sense and know that there can be brokenness related to even thinking about Father's Day. Um, I know that you can and I pray will find comfort as we look to learn about our Heavenly Father today and also about spiritual fathers in the faith. The, the church is a family. We hear this. They are brothers and sisters in Christ and there are spiritual fathers and spiritual sons. And so in the church, we have a family. So I pray even in the midst of your brokenness that you can come and find comfort today. But I would like to take a minute to honor my Heavenly Father. I haven't spent a Father's Day with my father since we moved to Boston in 2010. This is one of the, the small sacrifices that we made for the sake of engaging in God's mission. Um, but I love my father, Donald Ray Chastain, and I'm forever grateful for my dad. There are, there are numerous things that I could share with you today, um, but I just wanna share a few of them. And, and I love holding up just people, stories. I mean. How, as we look in the Bible, we see Paul saying, follow me as I follow Christ. So at times we need tangible pictures and examples of what, it, what does it look like to walk after Christ. And I think that you can, you can just have a few takeaways from um, the role that my dad played in my life. Here are a few things just this morning that are fresh on my mind. One is my dad loved my mom faithfully and passionately. And there was never any question in my mind whom my dad loved. I knew that he loved her more than he loved me. That, that was the priority relationship in our home. This is something that was stated with his mouth. It was proclaimed loudly with his actions. He displayed tender, loving care for her, provision for her, security for her, and he Led her. So let me just pause right here. Fathers, love your wives. Love them. If your home is going to be a place that there is healthy soil for your children to grow, it's going to be on the rock of a husband's relationship with his spouse. So your kids don't trump your wife. You love your wife. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It is the, is the bedrock of the home. And so just challenge you with that. Your kids do not come first. You seek first the kingdom of God, you love your wives, and then you care for 
your children. My dad set me a help, set me in a picture and a healthy example of this. My dad also was present in my life. That was just a word coming to my mind. He was present. Now, I know as I share these, these may even be reminding for you heirs of brokenness. So, man, even as you hear brokenness from my experience, man, I just, to go to the Heavenly Father for that. But my dad was a, he was present with me. When I say that, as I reflect back on my time with him, he was there at, at many different times in my life, whether it was just randomly showing up at a school performance or a school play like the Wizard of Oz, or whether it was just being at a random football practice, and I look up, and there's just one guy sitting up in the bleachers, and it was my dad. He just popped in for 30 minutes, and then was going to slide by. I didn't even say a word to me, but I could see his presence from where it was, I mean, when I had an ACL surgery, and he's driving three hours to come spend the night in the hospital with me, and taking a day off of work. My dad was with me, He's still with me. I'll just encourage you with this. Fathers, spend time with your kids. Spend time with your kids. And then another one that, that is on my mind and fresh today is that my dad was my pastor for 20 plus years. Many of you know I, I'm a PK. I'm a, I'm a preacher's kid. You know, one of those. Um, and and I, I loved, I got to spend a ton of time with my dad in the local church. I learned things from my dad that a seminary could not provide or teach for me. From whether it was being there with him early on a Sunday morning, whether it was late on a Wednesday night, whether it was me walking with my dad into the hospital to go care for, for a family, for a child, from a parent that was going through sickness or tragedy, to hear him open up his word and often go to 1 Peter to bring comfort to those. I'm hearing him read the word and pray for people. These are things that I learned from my dad. Let me just say this. My dad was not perfect. My dad is not my savior. And man, if he were standing here today, he would say, yes, amen. I'm not perfect. I'm not, my, I'm not your savior. But he set an example as he was following Christ that I could see of what it looked like to be compassionate and merciful to people. Fathers, we must teach our kids what it looks like to care for people. I mean, this past week, probably similar to you, I have been through an array of emotions in light of what happened in Charleston, South Carolina. Charleston, South Carolina. From anger to justice to compassion. It's been all over the place. As many of you have heard, at Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, Dylan Roof, a white 21-year-old male, spent an hour in a prayer meeting and then proceeded to kill nine in this church. He told investigators that he did it to start a race war. There is no room in the gospel for this. Amen? I mean, the, the gospel is that all, Jew, Gentile, 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When we come to the word of God, we see that everyone has been created in the image of God. The gospel levels the playing field and puts us all on the same page before God, all in need of God's grace. No matter what your background, your color, who, there is no room for this in the gospel. I'm reminded of Romans 3 where it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but are justified through the redemption that is found in Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation to be received by faith. It is in Christ that anyone can be forgiven of their sins if they will respond in faith. And that they, we're gonna see, and we're gonna be reminded today that that brings peace, not war. That Christ came not, he, he came to, to give peace with God and to peace with one another. And so when we come to the end of Ephesians today, with that fresh in my mind, Paul is going to speak directly into this tragedy with four key themes from the letter that he's written. Let me read those for us. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 21. Paul writes, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The point of the sermon today, right out of the text, is this. Continue to walk worthy of your calling in Christ by experiencing peace, faith, undying love, and grace in ever-increasing measure. You see these themes? Peace, undying love, faith, and grace in ever-increasing measure. In this concluding section, Paul is going to first describe the mission and character of Tychicus, who he sent. Tychicus is one who's delivered the letter. Tychicus is going to give encouragement and tell them how Paul's been doing. And then Paul is going to wrap up with these key themes and how they were to live and these themes are, are given to us in what we're going to call a prayer wish. Paul's praying and wishing these upon the church at Ephesus. And so before we jump in, I just want to pause and pray. As my heart is heavy and that we would hear and rightly respond to these words today. Heavenly Father, God, creator of all, sovereign Lord. Would you give us grace right now to not just hear these words in an informative way, but God, help us to hear these as your words, the word of God. Speak, Lord. Open our eyes. Change us. Teach us. Transform us. Help us to walk in Christ. We pray, amen. 
And so here's what I want to do. We're going to look at two truths today. And the first one is this. Imitate the example of Tychicus. That's what we're going to see here in the first few verses. Paul introduces Tychicus to us. He is the one who had delivered the letter. So just reflecting back, you could go to the book of Acts and see the history of the early church. And Paul had three missionary journeys. And that he had traveled along, he had shared the gospel, people had believed, and then he went back and, and he set up elders and he encouraged these churches. His primary function and purpose was church planner. He, he was going to see the gospel taken to the ends of the earth. As people believed and were gathered, churches were started, he got elders leading them, and he continued on. But what we have here in the New Testament are many of the letters that he wrote to these churches that he had been to, that he had spent time with, establishing. And Ephesus was one of those. And so he had written this letter, and Tychicus is who he had used to send and deliver this letter. There was no email. There was, you know, the delivery of, of transferring this was different a couple thousand years ago. So he would deliver it by hand to the church in person and give a report. He would be there to clarify or answer any questions about the letter and also to give an update on what Paul's doing. We find out about this guy four other places in Scripture. In Colossians 4, 7 through 8, it's a very similar passage, almost exact to the words here in Ephesus. We find him mentioned in Acts 20, verse 4, where he had accompanied Paul after the, the riot at Ephesus. We find him in 2 Timothy 4, 12, where Paul had sent him to relieve Timothy so that Timothy could come spend time with Paul. And then we find in Titus 3 of Paul sending him to relieve Titus so that Titus could come and spend time with Paul. In view of this, it's no wonder how Paul describes him here. Look at these words. Paul says this, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. Man, just pause here for a second. Man, if you were sent to go deliver a letter to a sister of faithful church, what would be the words that would be attached to your name? Hey, I'm sending Tanner. I'm sending James. I'm sending Angel. I mean, as we, as we look at the example here of Tychicus, we see one here. He says he was a beloved brother. We have this familiar, familial language here. We see it all throughout Ephesians that Paul is talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, but he describes Tychicus as a beloved brother. Like, man, we are in Christ together. We are in the family. He's my brother. He's one that I love deeply. I'm not just sending you anyone. I'm sending you one that is walking the faith with me. In light of these references here, it's probably true that he delivered up to five of Paul's letters. The letter to the Ephesians, Colossians, Philemon, 2 Timothy, and Titus. I mean, Paul had invested in this guy a lot, a lot of trust and a lot of responsibility. I mean, we have the word of God that Paul had written and delivered to these churches, and Tychicus has been a part of that. But not only that, he was faithful. Paul describes him as a faithful minister. So he was a beloved brother and he was faithful. 
And we hear this word faithful, we hear it throughout the Gospels, and we hear it throughout the Bible, that God is calling us, that Jesus, man, I am looking for somebody that can say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's who we are. We're servants, that we would be good, that we would be faithful. This is what described Tychicus' life. And so he, he relieved two apostolic delegates in the early church. So not only was he the, the courier, delivered the letter, he also was the one who updated them on Paul's circumstances. Look here, we see in verse 21 and 22, Paul says, so that you may know how I am and what I'm doing. Just go back up to verse 20. It's, it's probably what Paul's referring to. In verse 20, he said, for which I'm an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. This is one of the prison letters. Most likely Paul is writing this from prison. And so he's giving an update on not just what he's doing, he's in prison, but man, how am I doing? How am I responding to these challenges that I'm facing in life? And so Tychicus would have been there to encourage them to report on how Paul was doing and it says to comfort them. Verse 22, I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. How does he encourage them? He's encouraging them with this letter. These are the words of Paul that he's challenging them that this is how they are to walk. And so he would encourage them with these very words. So look at Tychicus this morning as one who was an example of a beloved brother and a faithful servant of Christ, worthy of imitating. But the second thing that I want us to see today is, as we wrap up Ephesians is that we are to walk in Christ. I know walk language is not here in these verses, but Here's what I want to do. I want to spend some time just almost providing a recap. We're going to walk through at different times and just see, man, what, what is the message Paul has been sharing? I mean, if we were to preach all of Ephesians this morning and go chapters one through six, what would be some of the main highlights that we would stumble across along the way? You see this box here on the screen? In Christ. This sermon series we entitled in Christ. If you were to go back and listen to the very first sermon on Ephesians chapter 1, Tanner unveiled our vision for the year in Ephesians 1. He says that we are going to choose in Christ. Go back to Ephesians 1. Look there real quick. Because this is how Paul starts off his letter. In Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, Paul says, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Tanner argued with us that it is in Christ that we should view everything of the Christian life. Jesus Christ is at the center of what God is doing. Going down in chapter one to verse, verse, uh, verse nine, verse seven actually, go to verse seven. It says, in him, speaking of Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the plan of the fullness of time to unite all things 
in Christ. And so everything, if we were to think of the Christian life and reflect on Ephesians, could be summarized in Christ. This is why these two words should dominate our lives. I mean, just reflect on this. It is in Christ that we have been chosen, adopted as children of God. We have been forgiven. Does anybody need forgiveness today? Your forgiveness was bought and brought to you by Christ. He is the one that lived a perfect life and deserved no death and and was hung on a cross. He poured out his blood for the forgiveness, not of his sins, for yours, past, present, and future. Even the sins that you are still to commit one day were bought on the cross by the blood of Christ. When you respond to Jesus and you believe in him, you have forgiveness. This is the promise that you have in the gospel. If you'll repent and believe, it's forgiven. Now just let that sink in for a second. What does it mean to be forgiven? God will never bring this back up and use it against you. You're forgiven. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him, in him, you might be the what? The righteousness of God. You might be righteous, just. You might be viewed as if you are Christ. You see, when you are in Christ, God looks at you and doesn't see John Chastine and the sin. He looks at me and he sees Christ, perfect, obedient, delighting in the will of the Father. A son in whom he delights. That is yours in Christ. Chosen, adopted, forgiven. You are redeemed. And and the things I'm sharing with you, just go read Ephesians 1. That's That's what Paul unveils. You have redemption. You lived a life in slavery to sin. You were in bondage. He he describes it in Ephesians 2. He says you were dead. You weren't even alive. You were dead in your sin and it is in Christ that you have been made alive. You have been raised and you have been seated in the heavenly places and for all of eternity, God is gonna show off the riches of his grace and kindness to you in Christ. Look, if you have responded to the gospel, we're gonna see baptism here later today. It's this picture that you aren't dead anymore. You are alive. You have been raised to new life and your life is with Christ. And so I know like physically you're sitting in the chairs here today, but spiritually and relationally, You are at the right hand of the Father right now in Christ, seated with him above all rule and authority and power, and nothing has any rule over your life except Christ. Can I get an amen? Sin and Satan has no more power over your life. So you're here today, man, and you're still wrestling with sin. Man, you're free. You have been redeemed. You're not not in slavery to sin anymore. Man, this is good news. And this is all good news to us.
in Christ. It is because of these truths, as we studied Ephesians, we saw that chapters 1 through 3 taught us these doctrinal truths, things we may call the indicative, things that are true of us. This theology that he then turns in chapter 4 and he talks about application. So it is, it is theology that leads to ethics. It is doctrine that leads to duty. It's the indicative that then turns to the imperative. And it hinges on Ephesians 2.10. Go there. Go to chapter 2, verse 10. He's just talked about how you were in Christ, made alive, raised, seated. And not only that, you're a new creation. Did you know that? It's not like you just got resuscitated. You are completely new. You are a new life in Christ. So there was an original creation that God created by his spirit and his son. And now there is a new creation that you have been recreated by his spirit in the son. And what has he recreated you for? Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. That we should do what? That we should walk in them, or your text may say live in them. It's this picture of the Christian life as a walk. And so we go to Ephesians chapter 4 now, which is the transition point. And what does is, what is Paul say in Ephesians 4.1? I urge you therefore, brothers, to do what? A prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. In light of all this, adopted, raised, seated, redeemed, forgiven, walk in a way that is consistent. So this is who you are now? Live that way. You're alive? Live as if you're alive. You're forgiven? Live as if you're forgiven. You're free, you're, free, you're redeemed? Don't continue to live in sin. Walk worthy of that calling. And so he continues through the rest of Ephesians, and he's going to say, so here's how you're going to do this. You're not going to walk like the Gentiles do, but you're going to walk in newness of life. By putting off, renewing your mind, and putting on. He's going to continue. He's going to say, you're going to walk in love now. We don't walk in hate anymore. There's no room for that. We walk in love. We're going to go to Ephesians 5, 8, and he's going to say, walk in the light. We don't hide. You know, I don't have to hide anymore. You know why? The light of the world has come and he has invaded darkness and now that light is shining in my heart. And so, man, I don't have to hide from my sin. I can come before God and the gospel does this. The gospel allows me to confess my sin because I can go to Christ and say, hey, Satan cannot dangle this over my head anymore because I have been forgiven. Jesus has paid it all. So Satan, you can't keep me in guilt because Jesus has paid the penalty. So I live in the light because of the gospel. I'm going to walk in the light. And then we go to Ephesians 5, 15. And he's going to say, you walk in wisdom. This is how we are to walk. And so when we go to Ephesians 6, 23 and 24, this is where I get this language, walk in Christ. It is in Christ that we are to walk. And I'm going to give us four ways right out of the text, that we're to walk. And the first one is this. We're to walk in Christ in peace. Walk in Christ 
and peace. Verse 23 in chapter 6. Peace be to the brothers. As we've studied Ephesians, we've seen that Paul has talked about peace in two specific ways. Peace signifies a lack of hostility between God and man, and then peace signifies a lack of hostility between other believers. I mean, just think about it for a second. What was the main problem with sin? What does sin do in Genesis chapter 3? Sin separates me from God. I was created to be with God, to enjoy God, to be in, in the place of God, with the people of God together, enjoying the rest of God. And yet sin separated that. Because of sin, I don't now come to God. What do I do? I run and I go hide. I flee from the light. Because of sin, not only that, Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, separated from God. Not only spatially, but relationally, spiritually, we are separated from God. And so at the heart of the gospel is this. Christ died to bring you to God. He didn't just die to get you to a heaven with a bunch of cool mansions and your lost and, 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 your, and your relatives that you want to see again one day. He died to bring you to God because God is what is good. It is that you might be satisfied in God. And so what Jesus did on the cross was remove the sin, the main barrier between you and God, so that there might be peace. You see, here's the good news of the gospel. When you repent of your sin and trust in Jesus, your sin is taken away. Christ has removed it. It has been, as you read the Old Testament, it has been put on the scapegoat and it's been sent out. And you're now a child of God. You now have a relationship with God. This is the benefits, blessing of the gospel. We see this in Ephesians 2. Turn back there, verse 14. We'll just reflect for a few moments. Actually, I'll start in verse 13. Ephesians 2, verse 13 where Paul writes, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you hear that language? You were separated, you were far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Here's the other part of the gospel. Not only does the gospel bring peace between you and God, what else does the gospel do? The gospel unites people. Look around. Just look around the room. Look, we're not all from the same background. What is it that's brought us here today? It's not our background. It's Jesus. Jesus is what unifies. Young, old, and no, no matter where you're from, Jesus is what brings peace. So that I can meet somebody today that I've never met before and have, look, I'm not from Boston, I'm from North Carolina, but we can gather together and worship because of Christ. This is what the gospel does. The gospel has not come to start a race war. The gospel has come to respond to this brokenness and bring peace. And this is the hope that we have. The reason that we still have tragedies like this is because of sin 
and Jesus has not returned. But one day soon, Jesus will return. You guys hear that? We don't know the time. I don't know the day. But he's promised that he will return and there will be a, just like I am a new creation, there will be a new creation. And he will avenge and bring justice. He will destroy works like we saw this past week. And they will be no more. Pain, suffering, death, and he will reign as the true king and we will reign with him and delight in him for all of eternity. That is my hope. So, man, one of my responses this past week is I'm longing saying, Jesus, come. Because until you return, we're gonna see mess like this continue to happen. Because sin is evil. Verse 15 He's brought peace by abolishing the law of commandments, expressing ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the, through the cross, thereby killing hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. It is the gospel in Christ that brings Peace. Paul is reminding them of the peace they have with God and that this peace is supposed to flow from them and through them to others. So when you hear these words, peace be with the brothers, think of the peace that comes to you from God and go extend that to others. Let me give you a few practical encouragements. What's this look like? If you've offended somebody, it's your responsibility to take steps to restore peace. It would be, hey, who do you not have peace with today? Go take a step today to bring reconciliation. Second, recognize that the cause of conflict lies partly or even wholly with you. So I'll give you some encouragements. Suspect yourself first and inspect yourself first. We do a really good job at seeing the sin of others and a very poor job at seeing the sin in ourselves. So if you want to be a peacemaker, suspect that you've probably done something, and then inspect yourself. In other words, take the log out of your own eye before you go to somebody else. This is what it means in light of the gospel. Hey, it frees us. I can look at my sin honestly and say, you know what? Yeah, this is where I've blown it. Repent of that. Go confess that. Hey, I'm sorry. This is how I sinned against you. Will you forgive me? And then third, when someone wrongs you, we don't seek revenge. Paul in Romans 12 tells us this. Leave it to the avenger. He will avenge. You, pray for your enemies. Do good to your enemies. And it's like heaping burning coal on their heads. That's how we respond with the gospel. Because you know, at one time, we were enemies of God. At one time, you were enemies of God. And how did God respond to you? He, he's extended love and grace, and you didn't deserve it. Hey, this is one of the truths you gotta get from Ephesians. You're not made alive because you deserve it. You're made alive because of the grace of God. And, and just that word grace is undeserved, unmerited. I have done nothing 
that God has said, hey, I'm going to raise John Chastine and seat him with Christ. There's nothing. I've done a lot of things that would lead him to say, no, I don't want to do that. I deserve to be on the cross. I don't deserve to be reconciled to God. And when you get that, it changes the way you view relationships. Because you view relationships and you extend the grace that God has extended to you. So we do that in peace. The second, walk in Christ in undying love. Go back there to Ephesians 6, verse 23. How many times do you see this word love show up? Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible, or your text may say, with an undying love. Paul desires believers to fully know the magnitude of the love of God in Christ and that this would result in love back to God and love for other believers. We see this all through Ephesians. In love, he predestined us. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive. He saved us. It was, it was The motivating factor was love. We just prayed earlier in Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that you may know the height, the depth, the width of the love of God in Christ that surpasses all knowledge. This is the love. So when he's, he's concluding here with this emphasis on love, he wants you to get it because when you get the love of God, it changes your life. It changes the way you love your spouse. It changes the way you love your enemies. This word incorruptible can mean immortal, unceasing, undying. Paul's reminding them to love in a way that's not corrupted by death. A love that is unceasing, that is consistent, that is undying. It is the love of God. I mean, I love this. Um, Honer says this, the unceasing or endless love of God in Christ is well demonstrated earlier in the letter, which serves as a pattern for believers to love Christ unceasingly. And ironically, it's interesting. This is the first time in Ephesians that we actually hear of our love for God. You've heard of God's love for you and your love for others. But this is the first time where he says, grace be all who, who love our Lord Jesus very first time. But it shouldn't surprise us. I mean, what's the, the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And this is what we've got to get. God is not just after mere obedience in your life. He's after love. I love this. I've, been, I've told you guys I've been reading a book um, called Delighting in the Trinity. And Michael Reeves says this. He says, what then went wrong? Speaking of Adam and Eve, it was not that Adam and Eve stopped loving. They were created as lovers in the image of God. They could not undo that. Instead, their love turned. Lovers we remain, but twisted. Our love misdirected and perverted. Created to love God, we turn to love ourselves and anything but God. He continues, the problem with Eve is deeper than her actions, deeper than outward disobedience. Her act of sin was merely the manifestation of the turn in her heart. She now desired the fruit more than she desired God. So God isn't just after obedience. At the heart of obedience is love. You were created to love. Obedience would just to be producing whitewashed tombs. 
which the Bible calls as people who, who look really good on Sundays, and yet in the heart, man, it's full of all kind of wickedness. But love flows from the heart. You know what, ironically, when we go to Revelation chapter 2, what do we hear about the church at Ephesus? John writes, but this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you fall and repent. Do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. In Jerry Bridges, in his book, The Practice of Godliness, he gives a couple of encouragements on what does it look like to practice godliness, specifically in the area of love. And he says two things. One, he says, love gives whatever the cost. Does the Father ever stop giving love? No, we see this displayed. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself. Love never stops giving. It gives whatever the cost. And then second, love sacrifices to forgive. Love sacrifices to forgive. We see this in Ephesians 4. We could go back and talk about that. I mean, this past week, we've seen a great demonstration of this. Love sacrifices to forgive. The Washington Post described the hearing, did you guys see that, of Dylan Roof the other day? And it was one after one, the testimonies of relatives getting up, and what were they saying? You've done a horrible act, but they were extending what? Forgiveness. May God be with your soul. May God have mercy on you. I heard one guy explicitly plead with him to repent, to confess his sin, and come to Jesus. How, how, did that, how does this happen? Only the gospel can do that. And so Charles C.W. Cook, an atheist who writes for National Review, tweeted, I'm a non-Christian, and I must say this is a remarkable advertisement for Christianity. There is nothing that will more broadly proclaim the beauty of the gospel than when you forgive somebody who doesn't deserve it. And this is one of the most perfect examples because all of us say, no, we claim for justice. They ought to be destroyed. And no, that's not what God has done with us. We deserve that very same judgment. And yet God has extended grace and forgiveness. And so God says this, as you have been forgiven, you go forgive. That's how we tangibly love in a way that is undying. It gives and it is sacrificial. Last two and I'll wrap up. Walk in Christ by faith. He combines that here with love. And love with faith. You were saved and given new life when you placed your faith in Christ. For by grace you have been saved through Faith. This is the only response to what Paul has written. And the way you get in Christ, there are no, you can't do a list of good things. So if you're here today like, man, I'll just keep doing these things and one day I'll be in Christ. No, it's not a list of things you do. The way you get in Christ is you respond in faith. You believe. And that simply means that you entrust your life into Jesus' hands. You see what he's done on the cross and you confess your sin. You repent and say, I believe that Jesus died for me. It takes it from a generic gospel proclamation. It says, no, he died for me personally, individually. You have to receive this. You have to acknowledge this. Every single individual, the way you get in Christ, it is through faith. And Paul prays that all those who are in Christ 
would continue by faith to appropriate these blessings in their life. Peace and love flourish in the fertile soil of faith. So you hear today, man, I need greater peace. I need greater love. It's going to flourish in the soil of faith. And then finally, walk in Christ by grace. Paul begins in chapter 1, peace and grace, and he ends here with peace. And then finally, grace. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. The blessings of peace and love and faith are freely given as a demonstration of God's grace. At the very beginning in chapter 1, Paul is unveiling it. He says, to the praise of God's glorious grace. You've been adopted, chosen, redeemed to the praise of God's glorious grace. You've responded in faith to the praise of God's glorious grace. And so Paul prays that all those who genuinely love Jesus might experience the grace of God. And I close with this reference here. Back in chapter verse 23, these words, peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All of these are from God the Father. The fact that God the Father is happy and even delights to share his love This is what is in the gospel. Michael Reeves says this. He says, um, to be known as our father reveals just how unfathomably gracious and kind he is. He's not just the father to Jesus. He is now our father. He is your father. And J.I. Packer continues, and he says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child, having God at his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook in life, it means he does not understand Christianity very well at all. At the heart of this is that God is your father. You are his child and he will care for you. So fathers, have you responded to God through faith in Christ? There is nothing greater you could do today than to respond and place faith in Jesus. That is how you will be able to extend peace and love and grace to your own kids. And then how might you imitate this week this same love, peace, faith, and grace and be outgiving as the Father flows to us that you would now be out giving and outpouring to your family, that your family would be a place of life. Respond today, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray your great work of redemption will continue in us, that we would walk, that today we would take steps, one step, two steps, Tomorrow, we would, you would give us strength to take more steps to walk in Christ, that we would rest on these great truths of the gospel. God, would you help us to pursue peace? Would you help us with an undying love that is faithful? As your love is undying, that our love would be undying for you and for others, that we would be filled not with hate, but we would extend the same kindness you have extended to us, and then the same with faith, and grace. God, have your way. Transform us, I pray. In Christ. Amen.